if you would turn in your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke uh, chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We'll be finishing the chapter today, only looking at four short verses, which does not mean it'll be four short minutes of a sermon. You're welcome. Uh, We love the Word of God, so why not? I mean, my watch already says I'm, I'm 30 minutes over, so fall back. Daylight savings joke. I thought it was good. All right. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 45. I'll read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll pray and get into the Word of God. And he, speaking of Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness, for your holiness, for your righteousness. God, you are majestic beyond words. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are unchangeable, and yet you are knowable, God. We thank you that you have uh, given us your word to speak to us. And God, when we enter into your presence, we are aware of our failings, how we have walked in rebellion possibly uh, against you this past week. God, we have not trusted you, Lord. Uh, We have not trusted your word. Uh, We have doubted, distorted, and denied it. God, uh, forgive us for living like the world. God, for desiring the things of the world. God, I pray that you would forgive us for trusting in the things we see, or rather having faith in the things we cannot see. Uh, God, I, I thank you that because of what Jesus Christ has done, we could come to you boldly, Lord, knowing that our sins will be forgiven through the blood shed of Christ. So God, we, we, we trust in the blood of Christ this morning that frees us, that cleanses us from our sin. We ask that you would forgive us now in Christ's name. Dear God, we pray for those in our congregation uh, who are hurting this morning. God, you know those who are battling uh, sickness, uh, those who are battling financial stress, those who are in relational turmoil. And God, I pray that you would meet them by your grace. Uh, I pray now, Lord, that you would just speak a word to their heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, reminding them that you are with them, that you will never leave them and never forsake them. Dear God, we pray for our, our country now. Uh, with our upcoming elections, God, this coming week, we pray that Christians would vote that we would be good citizens in that regard. Uh, Dear God, we pray that you would have your way in our country. God, that you would allow your people to humble themselves, to pray and to seek your face, that you would heal our land. So God, we pray that you would elect um, officers who love you, God, representatives who care about your word, who strive to bring your um, gospel uh, to our land. Uh, Dear God, I pray that you would just be with our local elections, God, with our school board. We pray you'd allow people to be there who would open a door, Lord, uh, to have release time education at our schools. Uh, God, that the word of God would be preached faithfully on those campuses. Father, we pray also for the gospel witness in our community. Uh, We pray for Tom Tucker this morning at Sis Memorial Baptist Church. God, we pray that you would anoint his preaching this morning. As he stands and, and heralds your word, God, that you would just speak through him, God that you would allow him to decrease, that you may increase, that the glory of God would fall upon that congregation. And God, we also pray that for our own hearts this morning. Lord, 
What a gift. What a pure gift it is, God, to preach to your people. God, I pray that you would allow me to humble myself, to hide behind the cross, to be fully dependent upon you and your word. God, I pray that as I declare and announce your scripture, the Holy Spirit would speak through me. So God, I pray to that end that you would soften the hearts of your people, the people whom I love, the people you have given me to shepherd and pastor. God, I pray that you would soften their hearts, that God, that you would do what I cannot do, that you would speak by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would touch and change lives, convict people of sin and drive them to the cross. God, I pray that your gospel would be rejoiced in this morning, that your gospel would be delighted in. And God, we pray that you would do this not for our, only for our good, but God, for your glory. So God, I pray that the name of Jesus would be declared, um, that your name would be praised, and that you would receive all glory, honor, and praise. Uh, We pray this uh, through our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, One beautiful sunny day uh, in late 1870s, a husband and a wife were picnicking um, with their daughter on Long Island Sound in New York. Uh, The lunch was suddenly disrupted uh, by the cries of a young boy drowning in the nearby water. Uh, the husband rushed in to s- in the water to save the boy. But the weight of the boy and the current pulled them both under. Louisa Stead saw her husband drowned that day and was left to raise her young daughter Lily on her own. Uh, Louisa was a woman of faith and believed in God's word. She struggled following her husband's death, trying to make some sense out of the tragedy. As time went on, she started to feel the call to be a foreign missionary. God's word, as we know, commands his people to go and make disciples of all nations. She took God at his word, and she left the comfort of America, and she went to the nations to Africa. She would spend 15 years as a missionary in Africa, finally succumbing to a lifelong battle of poor health. In a letter of eulogy written after her passing, fellow missionaries shared a little poem that had been translated to various dialects all over Africa that could be, that were, could be heard singing, being sung every Sunday during their services. Stead's friends shared that at any given Sunday, about 5,000 different a- Africans were singing her poem to the Lord in praise. Her little poem goes like this. "'Tis so sweet." to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er, over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. It's a song we've probably sung many times in this congregation. She, Louisa Stead, lived by the words she wrote. She took God at his word. I wonder how many people have sung the words of that song throughout the, the, the century. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's an overestimation to say that over a million people have sung the words of, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." And I wonder, those same people who have sung that song, do they realize and fully understand what they were singing? "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word.'" 
I mean, do we take God at his word? Do we trust his promises? Now, granted, it is easy to say that we trust the Bible and to take God at his word, but it is much harder to live in light of that reality. God's word has always been important to God's people. The longest psalm ever written is Psalm 119. And if you read it, it's an acrostic going through every uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet declaring the beauty of God's word. Listen to what it says in Psalm 119, 127 to 131. The psalmist writes, Therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and I pant because I long for your commandments. God's people love God's word. But we should not only love God's word, but base our corporate life as a church together on God's word. We should simply do what Louisa said said. Take God at his word. This morning we're going to look at the, the Jesus entry, continued entry into Jerusalem. We just looked at his triumphal entry on a donkey and his weeping over the city because of their lack of trust in him, their lack of taking him at his word. He continues to enter into Jerusalem and he makes his first stop at the temple, the place of all other places who should do what? Love and cherish God's word. I pray that you will see four things, four truths about God's word this morning from these four verses. The first one is God's word defines our worship. God's word defines our worship. Go with me back again, verse 45 through 46, it says these words. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus entered the court of the Gentiles where animals and other items were sold for sacrifices. Uh, there would be many travelers coming to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, and they needed uh, to purchase an animal and to exchange a uh, currency. Um, the problem is not that there were animals or money changers there, but there was how they were doing it. You know, Luke abbreviates this scene. Uh, the same scene is seen in, in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John, of Jesus turning over tables and making a cord of whips and, 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 and going uh, to town. Uh, this is not there. Uh, G, Luke kind of shortens it. And we have to ask ourselves, why does he shorten it? Well, he shortens it because he wants us to see something. He wants to see that Jesus is acting like the Messiah. Jesus saw the temple was being misused for worship. So he began to drive out those who sold. Now, again, Luke chooses, chooses to, to avoid specifics because, you know, he wants us to focus on not how Jesus drove them out, but on that he drove them out. The action of correcting the temple worship was, a, was act as viewed as messianic. This was the Messiah who came to correct the worship of his people. Now, there's certain times when you look at the how Jesus acted. A lot of times you've heard that preached, and you talk about how Jesus was strong and powerful and throwing over tables and, and using a whip. Now, we could go there, but that's not what this text is focused on. It's, it's focused on that, that Jesus acted. 
Jesus wanted his worship, the worship of God, to be pure. Now, how does he correct the worship of his people? Notice his, his words. He justifies his actions with, it is written. It is written. The Jews were not allowing God's word to define their worship. So we have to ask ourselves, are we, the people of Park Baptist Church, allowing God to define our worship? It's a question we always ask. I mean, just a few days ago, we, we, we celebrated Reformation Day. Some of you call it Halloween. <laughs> it's, the, it's the time when Martin Luther, uh, commemorating uh, on October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther took 95 theses, wrote them down, and, and nailed it to the door at Wittenberg, saying that we need to redefine our worship based on God's word. The motto of the Protestant, Protestant Reformation became sola scriptura, meaning scripture alone. Like the reformers then, as today, we must always allow God's word to govern how we set up our worship services. So how do we know we are allowing God's word to be our foundation? How do we know? One simple way is to ask questions about regarding a change in worship. You know, when something changes in one of our services, do you ask, why are we doing this? We've never done this before. If that's your first response, it reveals that you're probably trusting tradition over Scripture, just like the Catholic Church was doing back in the day of the Reformers. Now, we know traditions are helpful, amen? Amen, they're helpful. But they're only helpful as long as they help to protect what is written in the Word of God. What does New Testament worship involve? We should sing God's Word, pray God's Word, preach God's Word, respond in faith to God's Word, give for the spreading of God's Word, and we do it all for the glory of God. New Testament worship is defined by this book. And too many of us in the church in the West do not look to the scriptures first to define our worship. You know what they look to? How can we get the brown out of the sanctuary? How do we fill the pews? I've told you before, we are not here only to fill the pews. We are here for God's glory, to do what God says in his word. Now, if we do what God says in his word, will he grow his church? Yes, he will. But he will do it in his time and his way. When we sacrifice God's word for growth, you will grow. Churches are doing it all across America, but they may not be growing the right way. After Jesus gives us the principle of how we should establish our worship, he quotes Isaiah 56, 7, which I read earlier, saying, My house shall be a house of prayer. The context in Isaiah, he's speaking to the foreigner. You know, I'm not sure if you heard that in, 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 in Isaiah 56. He's like, the foreigner is going to ask himself, will I be separated from God's people? Now, those who came, become, became a, um, they were proselytized, and they, become, they became believers in Yahweh. They had the question, am I going to be rejected? And God says, no. If you honor my Sabbath, if you keep my word, I'm going to give you something, a name that is better than sons and daughters. 
It's a beautiful picture. How he's going to bring them to the holy mountain and make them part of his house. That his house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. In quoting this passage, what Jesus is doing, he's further condemning the Jews. Did you see right above that Jesus condemned the Jews of the nation of Israel because they did not know the time of the visitation of the Messiah? God's people were to be the house that welcomes all the nations. And instead of welcoming the nations and making them a blessing, what do they do? They extort and they rob God's people who came from outside. The church is exclusive. Let me say that again. The church is exclusive. Do you know that not everybody should be members of a local church? Did I, Pastor, did you just say that? Yes, I did. Listen, the church is exclusive, but it should be the most exclusive, inclusive, exclusive place there is. Meaning this, that the door for church membership is open to all, right? All the nations shall come. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how much you have in your bank account. It doesn't matter what nation you are from. The church doors are open for all but you only can come one way. That is through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes it an exclusive club. It opens to all, but the only ones who can come are those who come through Christ. The church is the place that protects that promise above all costs. We have to protect the gospel. The gospel says this, that we are all sinners. We all deserve hell, but if we come to Christ by faith and repentance, we are saved, redeemed, declared holy, righteous, and perfect, promised eternity with God for all time. Period. He died. He rose again. He has given us the promise of the resurrection for those who trust in Christ. This is what we hold on to as a church. We must protect that promise. So where are you today? Do you look at your past and think that no one's going to accept you because they what if they found out about you? Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He opens the invitation to all to become part of his house. For Jesus demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that for a second. Christ did not die for the best part of you. Christ did not come to save the most lovely things you do. Christ died for the worst in you. He bled. He was forsaken for the worst parts of us so that we could be brought back to God. He died and rose again to give us hope so that he could make a house, a house right here, the house of Park Baptist Church for all people. So the people of Park Baptist Church, let me say this. We have to be the most welcoming people on the planet to all people if we're going to be faithful to the New Testament. We are invited to be part of this house. Will we accept the invitation? The second thing we see here, not only does God's word define our worship, 
God's word denounces our worldliness. It denounces our worldliness. So Jesus entered the temple, a physical building. But we have to remember that today, the church is not a physical building, but it is us. We, the gathering of God's people, are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Christians, our bodies are both individual temples of the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Christ, and corporately we come together as the temple of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because the Bible says that we are living stones, each one of us living stones being built together into a spiritual house, God cares about how we live. So right after quoting Isaiah, Jesus then quotes another Old Testament prophet, prophet Jeremiah. Uh, I would not want Jeremiah's ministry. Uh, Jeremiah preached a lot of very hard, hard messages. And people did not respond. He gave a lot of hard words, falling on deaf ears. The second part of being made a den of robbers, you see there in verse 46, comes from Jeremiah 7, verse 11, when God spoke to Jeremiah about the evil in the land. Uh, I think it's appropriate for our age as well. So I'm going to kind of read it at length. Jeremiah chapter 7, if you want to jump along with me, I'm going to be starting in verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, and if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will dwell in this place, in the land I gave your of old to your fathers forever. So he basically says this, if you live as my God, as I told you to, in my word, I will be with you. Then he says this, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my, not, my name, and say, we are delivered. Only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. God cares how we live, beloved. God condemns Israel because they are trusting in deceptive words. They say that they love God, but they're living in abominations, committing adultery, swearing falsely, abandoning the covenant. And then they do what? They go to the temple to worship and say, I am delivered. And they go back and they live any which way they want. Sadly, that is too many people in the church. We live any way we want throughout the week, denying God, rejecting Him, living any which way we want. We come to sit church and say, I'm saved! And then we go on living in any which way we want. Why do you think the church has no power? The church has no power because the church is not holy. God cares about how you live. Last summer, uh, I made some benches 
uh, in, my, in my backyard. Uh, I, I got some, had some old pallets. I broke them down. I, I made a top. I made some tables, um, strong and sturdy tables. And then I wanted some benches. So I went to Home Depot and I, I looked at some wood and I started calculating how much the wood was going to cost. And I said, you know what? It's going to be a lot of money. So I looked at that aisle right in the middle. It says coal wood, wood that's damaged. Because it's damaged, you get it 90% off. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right, you go back, you know, and I, I build my bench, and I thought with enough, you know, screws and enough weight that it would fix the bench. Uh, not true, right? If you go on my bench right now, you'll see one of the boards, you know, kind of sl- slams up there uh, because I used damaged material. Um, a few pieces were not straight, so the entire bench was affected. Beloved, the Bible says you are living stones being built into a spiritual house. Every one of you represents one piece of this building. So we can't be like coal wood. You know, we can't be deformed and, 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 and usable, but a piece that may tarnish the whole image of the house. We need to be straight and holy so that God's house is built with the best material. So when we come to Christ, we renounce Satan in all his ways. We may be tempted to go back to live like we once did, but we've been changed. We have an obligation now, not only to ourselves and to the Lord, but to each other. How you live Monday through Friday, how you live when no one is watching, affects everybody else in this building. You are a living stone. And if you don't live right, you are building a bad house. One of the secrets of sustained holiness, how do we live a holy, sustained life, is very simple. It's the weekly gathering of God's people. Regularly meeting for worship. Because when I come to worship, you know what happens? I look in your eyes. I see how you guys are battling for faith today. I see how you have joy because you are trusting in Christ. I see that even in the midst of your financial, your relational struggles, you're believing in the gospel. I see people who live by faith. I'm reminded of Hebrews 12 that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is what happens when we come together in church. We are surrounded by a great cloud of people who believe, who trust Christ. And when I see you, what does it call me to do? Lay aside, the Bible says, every weight and the sin that clings so closely. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I I used coal wood, damaged wood, uh, to build a bench for my house. But I would never use coal wood for Don, if I build a bench for Dan and Connie. You know why? Because I love Dan and Connie. And I would only want to use the best to show my love for them. See, that's what happens when you are building a house. If you live any which way you want, you are bringing faulty material into the building of God's house. 
when you're living right, guess what happens? You're, you're, you're caring and you're loving the people here because you are part of their house. You are part of my house, the house that God is building at Park Baptist Church. So when you're tempted to sin, I want you to think about the people in this room. When you're tempted to gossip or have bitterness or be unforgiving or to lust or to lie, I want you to think about the people in this room and remember you are building their house. Bring the best material. The third thing we see about God's word is that it destroys our pride. It destroys our pride. Worldliness is the fruit of pride. We just saw that God, you know, denounces worldliness. Well, worldliness, its fruit is pride. Pride sets itself up against God. The Jews did not like Jesus' teaching because it was condemning to their pride. So they looked for a reason to destroy him. Just notice here in verse 47, it says he was teaching daily in the temple. Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God. That's what he did wherever he went. But notice who didn't like his teaching. The chief priest and the scribe and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. The people of influence and power wanted to destroy Jesus. Why? Because their pride did not want to submit to his words. Their pride set themselves against Christ. You know, I find it interesting in our day that those who are most aggressive in speaking against God are those who claim that God doesn't exist. You know, their anger and their animosity towards God is only a sign of their pride and their love for this world. If you want to destroy your pride, we have to turn to God's word and do his will. In our day where this church struggles with worldliness, we need to hold fast to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, which says this, Do not love the world or the things within the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the, the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Beloved, this world is fleeting. <laughs> the desires and the pleasures of this life are passing away. The pride of this life is not from the Father, but this world and its desires will pass away. Therefore, we do not want our pride to destroy us, but we want God's word to destroy our pride. We have to change our delight, which is our last point this morning. God's words delights our perceptions. God's word delights our perceptions. The world is set against God and can, can do nothing. Because the people were hanging on the words of Christ. Look at verse 48. Let me read the, the sentence before. It says, The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men were seeking to destroy Jesus. And what happened? But they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were hanging on his words. The people's perceptions were being changed as they focused on the word of God. They were hanging on every word. One of the things I, I've told you before, I said it last Sunday night, 
one of my prayers is that before I preach, there should be this praying that happens during the offertory, right? That when, when I get up here to preach, there's this, this, this expectation, this holy moment where we are ready to hear God's word. We're not checking our watches. We're not looking elsewhere. We are ready to hear God's word. This holy moment of expectation where the word of God is preached and we rejoice and we love it. A pastor should never apologize for preaching long. Why? Because we should get delight from hearing God's word. Unless I preach for an hour and a half and you guys are starving. No, no, maybe not. Um, anyway, let me just go back, right? My prayer, as always, for, this, for the Park Baptist Church is that we would be the kind of people who hang on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That we would just hang on the words of Christ. You know, I think sometimes we make the Christian life too hard uh, when it's pretty simple. Do we delight in God's word? Do we love God's word? If we are focusing on God's word, we are not focusing on other things. If we, when we delight in God's word, we're changed. And as we looked at last week, Psalm 1, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, that water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for our church. I want to be a spiritual house, a house of prayer, a house that delights in God's word, who meditates on the word of God day and night, that you're planted like a tree by streams of water. In all that you do, you prosper. Why? Because you love God's word. And not just you, we love God's word. So how do we do this? Let me just make two simple suggestions of how we can be a kind of church that hangs on the word of Christ. First, make time in your calendars for our corporate gatherings. The gathering of God's people at the Church of Park Baptist should be a priority in your life. We provide four opportunities every week for you to hear and respond to God's word. Wednesday night, Sunday school, Sunday, Sunday morning, and Sunday evening. There's a lot of things that you can choose to do with your time. But can I just challenge you to make your, your priority the gatherings of God's people? The world has other priorities. Children's activities, football, recreation, hunting, fishing, shopping. The church makes time for God's people. This morning I was reading a kid's book to my children um, about Olivia the pig, which is how we got Olivia's name, by the way. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> reading this book and it says it's Easter Sunday, right? It's Easter Sunday. Guess what Olivia and her family's doing? Going on an Easter egg hunt, right? See, the world has its own priorities. God's people have different priorities. So how, how, how are your priorities displaying your love for God's word and God's people? Making this place a house of prayer. The second thing is practice family worship. So you practice big family worship, and then you practice little family worship. You know, make God's word a priority in your own home by regularly gathering 
together. You know, if you need resources for this, we can provide them for you. You know, I'll be honest, I don't do this perfectly. I wish I did it better. But I tell you what, there is a different tone and tenor in my home when we regularly have family worship. And there is times when we don't and we feel it. And that comes down to leadership. It's going to be hard. <laughs> it is hard. I remember the first time um, I started going to Sunday evening worship. Man, it's a lot of church in one day, you know? Uh, but man, I started falling in love with that Sunday night. There's a different t- t- feel, just a sweetness of that gathering together. Now, I know there's some of you who can't make it now that it's, it's evening time. What about maybe some of you younger folks, right? Find out who in our congregation can't drive at night and say, you know what, I'm going to make a priority to help you build this house by bringing you with me when I come to church on Sunday evening. And here's the thing. Just because you do corporate worship doesn't mean you neglect family worship. And just because we do family worship doesn't mean we neglect corporate worship. God wants us to do both. And you know what? It's worth the pursuit. It's worth it. Why? Because we're building a house. I'm building houses for you who I love. I want to bring the best material. I want you to bring the best material to build Park Baptist Church. Make it a beautiful, holy, God-honoring house of prayer for all peoples so the world will see that we delight in God's Word, the incarnate Word of God, so we could be like Louisa Stead, who in our pursuit of God, both in corporate and family worship, we could say, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word." Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us grace to trust you more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.